this is Sandra Costa and this is TQ Talks Podcast, a place to stimulate the discussion about innovation and inspire new ideas and collaborative solutions to modern society. In this episode, we are going to talk with a professional that is an augmented reality and virtual reality expert. As the managing director in Augmented Solutions, a company based in the UK, our guest has been building systems in training and operations for a very diverse set of customers, including blue ship, government, and military organizations. Let's know more about the innovative work of Mike Griffin. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Sandra. It's a pleasure to talk to you. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Really excited to this conversation to know more about these technologies that I don't know so much. So, Mike, could you please explain in a simple way what augmented reality and virtual reality are and the differences between them? Also, I'd like to know more about how did you start uh, to be interested in these subjects? Okay, so let's let's do the... Um hard bit first okay so uh so it, with virtual reality you wear a um a headset or a set of glasses that covers your eyes sometimes it covers your ears as well they have two little screens inside it uh and it will it'll produce for you a picture that looks like it's three-dimensional and colorful and looks like a computer graphic drawing of whatever it is the end engineer or designer wishes to present um and the clever bit is that as you move your head and your body the image that's presented on these little screens updates in a way that looks like that you're actually there so that's what virtual reality is um because it covers your entire senses you are in you're immersed in this virtual world in this synthetic reality um, which is very useful for things like training, but it does mean if you're not careful, you can bump into furniture and objects around you because you physically can't see it. <laughs> um, and as I play Beat Saber, I can tell you that a number of my light fittings in my front and my lounge have been damaged, and I have tripped over the dog on a number of occasions when doing a particularly difficult routine. Um, augmented reality is different. So augmented reality, you see the real world around you, and you'll have... Um, well, they call them glasses, but they're not really glasses. You, you, uh, a headset that's transparent, so you can see you can see the real world around you. And what you do is you add on top of that real world things called augmentations, and these are computer graphic images that appear to be part of the world that you're in. And that as you move and look around the world, these objects are locked to the real world as if they're there, and they can animate and move, of course, but they fundamentally seem to be um part of your everyday existence so virtual reality you're completely encased in a virtual world uh, augmented reality you have the real world around you you can see the dog so you won't trip over it but you'll also see other items as well um so different they do different things they sound very similar but they do different things and are used for very different purposes how did you get in these worlds how did you find yourself emerging on them that's a very interesting question. Um, I, when I was very, very young, and we're talking about 1982, when I was 16 years old, it tells you my age now straight away, when I, in 1982, I bought, I bought a BBC micro. I saved up all my pocket money for, because I knew I wanted to get into computers. 
uh, and I saved up all my pocket money and I bought a BBC Micro. And one of the first things I programmed was a three-dimensional world called Happy Valley. Um, and that world, I was able to draw um, a scene in an editor and it would then uh, do uh, draw the polygons from the back to the front and simulate a 3D world. I worked out the mathematics and I drew this little 3D world. It, but it was static and it was slow. And it was quite pretty in the sun and the sun rose and there was sea and everything in it. And it was for a, for, I had fun with it. And I was, I said, 16 years old. I went to university, Reading University. Um, and uh, when I bought a, a, a book on computer graphics um, and in the back of that book, there was a picture of a system called Damocles, a sword of Damocles. And this was developed in 1968 by a guy called Ivan E. Sutherland, who is one of the gods of computer graphics. He, again, very much in the dim distant past. And this was um, uh, a system whereby you had um, two very large bulky displays strapped onto a helmet, uh, suspended from the ceiling with, on a mechanical, looks like an instrument to torch, with mechanical joints and <laughs> sensors. But the thing is, you could put this helmet on, this is in 1968, and you could actually turn your head and look around the scene, and it would display a wireframe view completely synthetically that made you feel you were there. It was pretty primitive, very, very primitive. But I looked at that and thought, wow, that's exciting. I want to build one of those. And so that's how it all started, courtesy of Ivan E. Sutherland or from a system that was designed in the 60s. This is before it all became fashionable, before it was all called virtual reality. Yeah, like the prehistory of all that. Yeah, what is what is what is old is new. This is the, we'll get with, and that, with the whole thing about the metaverse. Oh, let's, we'll get on to that in a minute. Uh, Mike, nowadays, how do you see the advances of these technologies in our daily life? daily lives because okay we can imagine that on video games like you said that, that we used to use this kind of glasses and we can live in other realities but what are the other appliances of that and do you think that they have been applied in their total potency uh, in the different sectors and markets nowadays that's a that's a very interesting question i mean there's a film which we'll recommend at the end called ready player one uh, which you haven't seen it, you should watch Ready Player One because yeah, it, it takes yeah, absolutely because that that takes you to where it where people want it to be, but we're a heck of a way off that. So um, so so where are we are to, where are we today? Well, my son, who is twelve, has got um, a Quest Pro Two headset. Sorry, a Quest headset, Quest Two headset, um, which he plays on, and when he allows me to, I play Beat Saber on. So, so there are, um, you can buy for 500 quid, uh, less in fact, um, a virtual reality headset that you can put on your head and you can download content and you can play all sorts of different experiences, mostly entertainment. So if you want to go on a roller coaster ride whilst firing guns, which is another great game, you can do that. If you want to, if anybody hasn't played Beat Saber, I thoroughly recommend it. It's, it's, it's my cardio workout three or four times a week um and you know so it is it is coming but if i look up and down my road where i live there well, there are 100 houses i'd imagine maybe three of those 100 houses have a headset 
So it is it is more available than it was. It doesn't cost you that much money, but it's not penetrated. It will come, but it takes time. And it's a technology problem. It's a cost problem. Um, you know, if you if you wear a headset for more than an hour, you take the headset off. It's sweaty. You know, you're, you you produce you transpire a lot of sweat through your skin. Um, humans are are called the thirsty ape because we drink so much. That's because we sweat so much, and that sweat's got to go somewhere. And if you've got a rubber headset on your head, well, it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays around, and it's pretty unpleasant. Okay, all right. So so you've got a problem with that, and weight, and heat, and battery life, and all the other bits and pieces. But that that'll get solved in time. Augmented reality, um, much harder. So there are systems that have that have come out, and this is this is a newer thing. Although it's been talked about since the since the sort of early nineteen nineties, I built a system actually using a robot head and cameras, and I linked it onto my headset, and I was able to do teleoperation and demonstrate the ability to overlay computer graphics over real world. But I didn't have the see through optics, so the see through optics has come reasonably recently. The biggest, most common use that is in use every single day of their working lives without a gap is jet fighters, as fighter pilots. So the um, F-35, for example, and uh, pretty much every modern jet, every every generation five jet has um, a very good helmet mounted display whereby a jet pilot can see where the enemy is. They can see uh, uh, where their friends are. They can see the flight path. They can see all their critical information. And they can turn their head. And in the case of the F-35, they can actually stare through the stare through the airplane at the ground because they've got cameras all the way around the F-35 that stitch together the view so that you can actually see right through the airplane beneath you. So for, for visibility... And for situational awareness, it's amazing. But these headsets cost something in the order of £100,000 or more per, per unit. And that's excluding the expensive aeroplane that you need to, to use with it. So, so that's, the, that's the use whereby there is a real measurable difference to the working life. So much so that the next generation jet fighter, the Tempest, will have almost no instruments in the cockpit. They're all gone. There'll be no television sketches. There'll be very few switches, no artificial horizon. All of it will be a full color display mounted on the pilot's helmet that will that can change and adapt as the mission parameters change. So that when you're taking off, the instrumentation that they see in their helmet is for taking off. And when they're in mid-flight, it changes again. And when they're going to ground attack, it changes again. Um, and that is more flexible and saves weight. So gone a lot, done a lot about that. But it's truly transformative for for um, for military air operations, and it's coming to ground as well and naval. So for um, sort of the normal people, how does it affect you? If you're an engineer, people are experimenting with augmented reality. There are quite a few headsets. The Microsoft HoloLens, HoloLens 1 and HoloLens 2, um, are... Um, common in research institutes have been experimented with um, by engineering companies I would question how successful they've been because of a whole series of, of issues one of which is that 
because you're adding light over the top of the real world, everything looks kind of ghostly. So it's like a split mirror thing. It's like a reflection in a mirror sort of thing. You can see see the real world at like a, and you can also see the the image as well. It's very hard to to either either form a bright image in daylight or to block out the bright light behind so that the computer graphic bits that you're trying to portray in the real world are real, appear real. People like Magic Leap are working on that. There's technological solutions. I haven't seen that, but I'm told it's reasonably good. So there are a lot of experimental systems. A lot of research institutes are using it. Not very successful. There's a but coming. The but is Niantic and Pokemon Go. So if you if you say that augmented reality is a picture you overlay on a camera view that animates and moves as you move your camera, then pretty much everybody's got an iPhone, a modern iPhone or a modern Android phone can do augmented reality. You have an augmented reality system in your pocket. Um, and if anybody's played Pokemon Go, you know you can look at the real world and you can see on the picture of the real world, a little creature that will come towards you. You've got to try and ca- got to catch them all. You've got to <laughs> catch them all. That's the thing. You've got to catch all the Pokemon. So that's been very successful. Um, made Niantic billions of dollars, literally billions and billions of dollars. So that's the, that's the one commercial shining light. And you get a few others like um, Ikea. So the Ikea, I think it's the Ikea Place app. Somebody will correct you, I'm sure, on the comments, um, which allows you to load in Ikea furniture and position it on the real-world camera view as if it was there. And that's useful to know, you know what this, how big the sofa will be, whether it will fit. And so that's, again, another good, useful, useful app. So there are a few niche cases where it works really well, but it's mainly phone and iPad-based or tablet-based, sorry, for those people who use Android. That's a very long, I'm sorry, that was a very, very long chat there. No, that's that's interesting because sometimes we don't realize the names of these technologies. For example, we can play Pokemon Go, but we don't know how to name it. Okay, this is augmented reality. So sometimes it gets distant, but it's not so distant because we have these small applications in our daily lives. So that's super interesting. And what about your job, Mike? So do you develop this kind of solutions for customers, different kind of customers? And while we talked before, we, we discussed a little bit of that. Do you develop uh, like a standard product that it's totally adaptable to each need? Or do you have to construct each solution from zero? according to each uh, specificity of each client okay so that's that's how do you develop how do you develop applications for this yes okay so <laughs> so i've i've done um i've developed with both headsets and been involved with developments for both uh headset systems for virtual reality i've been involved with my work with the luxembourg institute of science and technology who are very good outfit my friend rod good shout out to rod mccall um uh, uh been working with them on hololens systems um and with respect to sort of my own business i mainly develop on iphone and ipad applications um and developing an an, an augmented reality app is a little bit different than developing 
um, an a business application for a phone or an iPad. Um, a lot of the a lot of the problems are the same. So you've got to make sure the experience works, that you can access all the buttons and controls. However, you control them and run things correctly, that it works. You spend an awful lot of time bashing out bugs. You've really got to work out what you're doing actually is is worthwhile. So so all the sort of business elements and sort of commercial coding bits that you'd need to develop an app is unchanged. What is different is the maturity of what you're developing on. So, for example, on augmented reality systems, it's very new technology. Uh, and new can be good, and sometimes it can be flaky. In other words, things don't behave quite the way you'd like them to. And so as an engineer, one of the things that's different um, is you're, you have to find ways around the limitations of the technology um, and to make a solution that works. I'll give you a great example. The, one of the products I'm working on is a 3D printing application. So it enables you to load an engineering uh, picture in or an engineering drawing in and visualize it in augmented reality as if it was on your tabletop and you can choose the materials you can choose the size if you've got a real object you're going to marry a, a, eventually the 3d printed part up with you can actually load in the 3d printed part simulation on top of the real object to see what the combined image looks like very useful however the tracking technology is camera based it's what's called visual odometry so what that means, it uses the camera and onboard sensors to work out pitch roll, your motion, all that kind of thing, to work out where you're looking. So that as you turn the phone or the iPad, the computer graphic image and the real world are locked together properly. If they're not locked together properly, it is like being drunk. You'll see things move in different directions and it will, the scene will slide around and it just looks horrible. Um, and so that is limited. So, so one of the problems is if, you're, if your camera is staring at a scene with no features, like a blank wall, it's got no imagery to lock onto. So it doesn't know what it's looking at and it can lose lock. Um, and so you have to find solutions to that. So one of the solutions that, that we've developed is a little, little, it's actually a coffee mat. You can use it as a coffee mat, but you can also use it as a marker. So you put that on the table, and this and the imaging system recognizes the marker and locks to that really tightly so that if you're looking at very small printed objects you place them you digitally place them on the coffee mat and there's enough imagery in the coffee mat picture to make sure that, that the the parts are locked correctly to the real world and don't swim and move in the way that is highly disturbing so you, it's all these little tricks and things that you try to you have to employ which is different to make the applications work Again, that's a very long discussion. And what do you think about the future of these technologies, Mike? What are the main opportunities and risks, maybe? And in your opinion, who will lead this innovation in the labs and the markets the next years? Okay. But, uh, like so many technologies, in fact, if you just look at VR in, in particular and the metaverse, we're gonna, we, we should really talk about that. It's not a new idea. So there was a, a, a book written by William Gibson called Neuromancer, which I can't remember the, the, the date, 1991, goes back a long way. Um, and he talks about cyberspace. 
So, so in the very first sort of commercial, um, uh, the first generation of VR systems, which were sort of 87 to 91, 92, it was all called cyberspace. But the idea was that you would work, communicate and collaborate in this virtual world. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But because you branded yourself Meta, you might decide to call it Metaverse because your company is called Meta. I'm just saying, which makes complete sense, but it's not a new idea. So the risks are that uh, people will, will, will hype it, expect unrealistic expectations from the technology. Um, today, I can't see myself next week putting on a headset and living my eight hours of working life inside a, a system which doesn't have the battery life, after a long time is uncomfortable. Uh, if somebody comes into the room, I look like an idiot. Um, uh, so I'm not going to do that. I will wear it for an hour, for example, or maybe two hours to play a game um, for entertainment. I will wear it or use it with customers to... Um, uh, do an engineering walkthrough or run a training session. So for targeted use, today's technology in virtual reality is extremely useful. The same limitations apply to augmented reality, although because your face isn't enclosed uh, to block out the real world, because you have the real world around you, they tend to be A, more comfortable, and B, less sweaty. But again, um, it's early stage stuff. Uh, the battery life doesn't last that long. They're not, not the ergonomics in terms of comfort is pretty poor. So unless you have a particular reason to wear it, you, you're probably not going to choose to live your life wearing one all the time. Not not for the next next few years. So a lot of hype. A lot of hype means unrealistic expectations of the technology, which means eventually three or four years, the markets assert themselves, and guess what? Big companies lose money. Companies with large amounts of investment will disappear. But underneath that all, there'll be a number of small companies, small to medium-sized companies who have worked out exactly what this is good for, have got really good use cases, and can really make money at this. So, for example, Vuzix Blade. So Vuzix is a corporation in America, and they are producing uh, monochrome, sorry, uh, monocular, in other words, single eye, and binocular systems in other words both eye systems for industrial use and so for their their use cases are things like you're an engineer um and you want to keep your hands free but you've got to work on a complicated part and so what's really useful is to have all the engineering information like rewiring an airplane or fixing a piece of telecoms equipment uh you've got all your information in front of you which you can refer to immediately and your hands are free and that's a really good use case. And remote engineering, remote diagnostics, um, uh, wiring harness work has all proven to have a very strong return on investment. In other words, if you spend the money, it's worthwhile. It improves the efficiency of those staff and probably a better experience for the people doing the work, which mustn't forget. That's It's, a, it's as much about that as anything else. Okay, so again, a long answer. <laughs> no, that's perfect, Mike. It's a, a great perspective when we think about these small companies, which is, sometimes it's uh, controversial because they don't have the enough 
money to maybe develop this kind of technologies why the big companies they have it so yes it's uh there are two ways of thinking about this technology and i, I think it was great your explanation so mike ren i'd like to ask you some common questions that i do to all all the guests here first question i'd like to know if you have any suggestion of book or film related to innovation maybe related to the things that you're an expert expert okay so uh, as i mentioned it before william gibson's neuromancer um is uh, sort of the seed of an awful lot of vr um uh, virtual reality based um ideas that have been around for i hate to say how long 30 old 40 years. is it 30 years over 30 years now so it's, it's an old book, but it's as true today in many ways as when it was written. So it's a good book. Uh, William Gibson writes very well. Um, so again, if you're into that sort of thing, you're into science fiction and the dystopian future, which actually <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's quite accurate, actually. When it was written, none of this existed. Okay. Now it exists. We look back at it and go, oh, well, okay, fair enough. Quite a lot of this feels quite realistic. So he's worth a read. Um, another book that I'd recommend any... Um, innovator to read is called the mum's test um and the mum's test is can be applied to anything whereby any innovation um and the premise is really simple um that if you ask your mum whether you're whether that you should do a particular idea your mum or dad okay will always say yes darling that's a great idea you should do it so for example i'm going to develop uh, an online a recipe app, uh, sorry, a recipe app on an iPad. Uh, what do you think, Mum? Mum will say, "Oh yes, darling, that's a great idea." But then you ask, so so you'll always get a false positive. So what the Mum's test says is, don't do that. Never ask somebody whether your idea is a good one because they'll always say yes because they don't want to hurt your feelings. What you should try and do is understand from them whether there is a problem there worth solving. So you say, Mum, do you cook a lot? And Mum says, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I cook quite a lot. I say, oh, yeah, how do you cook? Oh, well, I, you know, I go along and, I, you know, my mother taught me in other bits and pieces, and, and I do use recipe books. I say, oh, great. Um, uh, so when was the last time you bought a recipe book? And Mum will go, oh, I don't know, darling. Uh, on my bookcase, I've got three or four of them. I think I've had them my entire life. I bought the last one 10 years ago. So what does that tell you potentially about building an app? It won't okay. work. <laughs> uh, or she might say, oh, I love recipe books. I buy three <laughs> a week and I subscribe. So, you know, and I'm on a blog for it. And you go, oh, yeah. So, so you have to not just ask your mother, but ask many people. But you shouldn't be saying to them, I've got an app. Will it sell? Because everybody will always give you a false positive. You have to you have to work it. You have to sneak up on it. That's the mum's test. It's all about the perfect questions uh, regarding everything. Great suggestions, Mike. And to end this conversation, would you like to leave here a message, a final message to the ones who works with uh, innovative activities or wish to start work? Do you have any message for them? Yeah, probably. Um, so it, um, I would suggest that augmented reality and virtual reality are very much like the motor racing community. And, uh, and Jackie Stewart was once asked, how do you make a small fortune at motor racing? 
and he said you start off with a big one um so if it's something you really enjoy and you really want to do it then you should always do what you love but you should absolutely have realistic expectations of the impact your technology will truly have um so um let's, let's, let's deal with mark zuckerberg who is an interesting man but he's a man with a vision and he's quite right in in saying it's going to probably take him 10 years to take um, the technology has today to an acceptability level where most people have a headset. Um, it's well worth watching Ready Player One, which is, again, one of the recommendations I'd make because that shows you the evolution of where he thinks he can get to. And if anybody can do it, Mark can. But it's a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of iterations. Um, and you need the killer app. You need, the, you need the killer app. And the killer app is an awful lot of people do lead a mundane existence. If I thought I could wear a headset for eight hours, it's really comfortable. And it was like being in the real world. But that real world was Hawaii rather than haven't. I would definitely be in Hawaii for eight hours while I was working rather than being haven't. So there you go. We're away, we're away off yet. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much for your participation. It was great. I love it to learn more about virtual and augmented reality. It increased my repertoire. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Sandra, I'm very always very happy to speak to you and, and TQ, who I am very fond of, and I'm extremely um, supportive of your key message, which is the truth matters. And it's not, and it should never be given away cheaply. So good luck to you, you and the network. Thank you. This was episode five of season two of TQ Talks podcast. Every two weeks, a new episode for you on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about TQ, visit tq.com.